Get on board, settle in, let's make this quick. Find a seat, there's plenty, so take your pick. We're going to talk about some things that make us squirm. Getting out of our comfort zone, it's a good way to learn. How we feel about money, it impacts our health. And if we're not healthy, who cares about wealth? We obsess over markets, we sweat our returns. But are we taking care of ourselves, addressing our concerns? The studies are conclusive, there's little left to doubt. Money and health, that's what it's all about. If we've learned anything over the past two years, it's that we need both to thrive to get past our fears. We need tools to tackle physical and financial stress. That's where we're headed on the Investopedia Express. Hey friends, a quick reminder that we will be hosting a free virtual online summit on September 21st, that's Tuesday, at 1 p.m. Eastern Time called Your Money, Your Health. Investopedia is teaming up with our friends at VeryWell.com and leading experts in investing, the global economy, public health, and the future of healthcare to answer your most pressing questions about your money and your health, those two key ingredients in all of our livelihoods. That's the Your Money, Your Health Summit from Investopedia and VeryWell. Tuesday, September 21st at 1 p.m. Eastern Time. It's online and it's free. Go to investopedia.com slash conference to sign up for your spot now. Well, all aboard, my friends, and welcome to the two toughest weeks of the year for the stock market. Historically speaking, that is. September is earning its reputation as the trickiest for stocks, and the final two weeks of the month are particularly dicey. Global markets are under pressure to start the week yet again, and last week delivered more of the same menu we've been seeing for the past six weeks. U.S. stocks under pressure, mixed signals from the economy, mixed messages from health regulators and policymakers, and a flight to safety among big investors looking for cover. Now, to be sure, U.S. equity markets are still within about 2% of all-time highs, but the sentiment has surely shifted. Ah, Maverick and Goose, where are the top guns when you need them? The S&P 500 fell 2.3% over the past two weeks. That's the biggest drop since February, and there are many bear markets roaming all over the stock market right now. According to CFRA, about 15% of S&P 500 stocks are more than 20% below their 52-week highs. That's technically a bear market for those stocks. Big chunks of the mid-cap and small-cap universe are also down 20% or more. Those smaller stocks are much more susceptible to an economic slowdown. 30% of mid-caps are in a bear market, and a full 48% of small caps are in bear territory. And here's just a few of the widely held large caps that are also in bear market territory. American Airlines, down 26%. FedEx, down 20%. DuPont, 20%. How about Nordstrom's, down 41%. The Gap, 36%. Abercrombie down 24%, housing stocks too, Pulte down 26%, and KB Home down 21%. Stocks touched their lowest levels in four weeks last Friday as inflation fears took hold and a range of Chinese economic indicators pointed to a slowdown. The University of Michigan's preliminary consumer sentiment index, it edged a little bit higher, but buying conditions in the U.S. for household durable goods, homes, and motor vehicles, those all fell to the lowest level in decades last month. The main reason? Inflation, of course. That's putting a little air into the U.S. Treasury bond market as the 10-year yield jumped to a two-month high of 1.38% as investors sold treasuries. Meanwhile, investors yanked $45 billion out of money market funds last week. That's the largest outflow of the year. So where are they putting it? 
Well, Japanese stocks apparently have found that love and feeling. More than 60% of stocks in the Nikkei 225 index of Japanese shares jumped to a one-month high. The Nikkei typically a place for safety. And what the frack is going on in the gas market? Natural gas prices have surged 17% just this month on worries about potential gas shortages this winter and supply constraints. They've doubled from a year ago, and they're also rising across Europe. We use natural gas from everything from home heating to powering industrial and chemical plants, so expect some sticker shock on future bills. And can we get a little junky? Because the junk bond market is popping right now. So far this year, U.S. companies have issued more than $361 billion of bonds with speculative-grade credit ratings, according to S&P Global Market Intelligence. That's the second most junk bonds ever sold in a single year, and it's on pace to surpass 2020's $435 billion record. Debt issuance by U.S. companies overall is sky high. $760 billion in junk-rated bonds and loans have already been sold so far this year. That's a record, and we're still in September. Why so much debt issuance? Well, money's cheap, interest rates are ultra-low, and investors are looking for yield, any yield. They're finding it in the junk bond heap. But keep in mind, Companies with low credit ratings typically have a lot of debt relative to their earnings, and they are super sensitive to economic cycles. If the economy downshifts abruptly, that debt is going to get pretty heavy for those companies and for those debt buyers. Let's get set up for the week ahead, and it's all about the Fed. The Federal Reserve's two-day policy meeting starts on Tuesday, and words matter more than ever. We'll be looking for more clarity on the Fed's plans to taper that $120 billion monthly bond buying program that has been the backstop of the capital markets for the past 14 months. Previously, the Fed has said it's looking for signs of, quote, substantial further progress in reaching its goals of full employment, which is 3 to 4% unemployment and 2% plus inflation before it begins tapering. Both of those metrics remain elusive. The Fed will have some fresh data to consider, including updates on the housing market with housing starts, existing home sales, home sales, and mortgage applications all due this week. We'll also get the latest Purchasing Managers Index reading, which will show whether prices are continuing to cool. The third quarter is set to close in less than two weeks, but the last tranche of earnings reports from a few influential companies are due this week. On Tuesday, AutoZone, FedEx, and Adobe will report results. Keep a close eye on FedEx, one of the key transport stocks that's kind of like a benchmark for global commerce and shipping. On Wednesday, General Mills, BlackBerry, and KB Home will report results. And on Thursday, Carnival Cruise Lines, Costco, and Nike will deliver their report cards and hopefully their forecasts for the rest of the year. Listen closely to what Carnival says about cruise bookings for the rest of the year. There's two things that most of us don't feel comfortable talking about, our money and our health. Of course, those are pretty two important components of our lives, and a lot of the time they're intertwined. Financial stress can lead to physical or emotional stress, and that can take a toll on us. The last 18 months have put so many people to the test, pushed them to the brink as we worried about our health, our jobs, our families, our livelihoods, and our futures. We get a lot of questions at Investopedia about managing financial stress, and so do our friends at Very Well Mind, our sister site here at Dot Dash. That's why we've teamed up with Very Well to host a free virtual summit on September 21st at 1 p.m. to tackle those questions about our money, our health, and where the two intersect. 
Amy Morin is Very Well Minds Editor-in-Chief, and she's been studying this issue and putting out some great work on it that is really helping people navigate financial stress, and she's our very special guest this week on The Express. Welcome, Amy. Thanks for having me, Caleb. Good to have you here. Very Well Mind has a really interesting mental health tracker. It's kind of like our anxiety index here at Investopedia, but you've been monitoring this throughout the pandemic and writing about it. What is it telling you now? So we were really thinking we were going to be tracking how people were doing with COVID in terms of their fears of physical health problems, about their fears about catching the virus, about going back to work. But what we're finding is financial stress seems to be the number one thing that's stressing people out right now. They're worried about money more than COVID. They're worried about money more than their kids going back to school. Money seems to be the number one stress in America right now. Right. They're intertwined in a way because if we can't really go back to work full time or if our kids have to come home because of the spread of COVID, that's going to impact the economy again. We know that. But it's strange because we're also getting this sentiment in our recent survey. Most of our readers, most of them are investors. They're more worried than they were a few months ago. But it's not COVID either. It's the economy. It's government policy. It's all the things around it right now, which shows you how this has sort of mushroomed into this broader concern that a lot of people have that's that's affecting their mental health, right? Yeah, absolutely. And we're finding that the more people are worried about money, the more that they their mental health is struggling, the more likely they are to have physical health problems anyway. It decreases your immunity. So they're certainly all related. Yeah. I mean, give us that pathway to if you're stressed about money or stressed in general, how does that physically manifest and then emotionally manifest in our health besides the obvious, like, I've, you know, you're, you're anxious all the time, but how does it, re- how could it really impact you? So somebody who's worried about money might not sleep as well. Well, we know when you don't sleep as well, you struggle to stay healthy physically, but as well as emotionally, maybe your appetite goes downhill. And there's tons of research out there that shows it's a two-way street. As your mental health declines, your financial health tends to decline. You can't put as much energy into thinking about money. You may not be as wise when it comes to investing or saving or figuring out your budget. And as your mental health declines, the more likely you are to, to get into debt we take debt, for example, people who are experiencing depression and anxiety, three times more likely to be in debt. We think it's a two-way street. Again, it's not necessarily that mental health problems cause financial health problems or vice versa, but, but that the two are related. And the more that you're struggling with your mental health, the harder it is to stay on top of your financial health. Right. And if you get stressed out, you don't make good decisions, but also sometimes you get this paralysis where you can't make any decisions. And certainly I've felt that before, but I think that's much more widespread, especially after the last 18 months. That's just it. We're so anxious pretty much all the time. Those of us who tune into the news... It keeps you in a heightened state of alarm right now. We're seeing things like death tolls and everybody's talking about vaccinations and ventilator shortages. And it keeps you in a heightened state of anxiety. Even though your financial health might not be directly related to the anxiety you're experiencing after watching the news, your anxiety spills over from one area of your life to another. There's tons of research that shows we're horrible at compartmentalizing our anxiety. So when we're anxious about one thing, it affects our decision making in in other areas of our lives. It is all connected. We've seen what we call a K-shaped recovery throughout this pandemic in the economy where the wealthier, typically older Americans, those with assets that have equity or own their homes, were able to work from home or own their businesses, typically white, they fared a lot better. The lower income, less educated Americans are faring worse. But how do these numbers bear out in your latest survey and tracking results and especially how people feel about this? Yeah, we're finding a couple of things. So people who lost their jobs are struggling the most in terms of their mental health right now and their concerns about money, which makes sense. They haven't recovered financially yet. 
But we're also finding that people who have plenty of money are still really worried. It's as if the more you have, the more you have to lose. So people are still really anxious, regardless of which end of the spectrum they fall on. Yeah, this applies in behavioral finance, but I think it's been pushed to the extremes given the pandemic and given all the concerns we've had. We've had a lot of loss. People have suffered greatly and lost family members and lost friends. So it really doesn't matter where you are, but everyone has suffered. But when you see especially lower income folks who never really had the opportunity, all of a sudden that opportunity looks even further out. We had Ian Bremer on the podcast a few weeks ago, and he said that notion of the American dream that you can do better than your parents, that's almost gone right now. Do you feel that, do you sense that people are kind of feeling that, especially those that didn't fare so well? I do. So a big, a key component to good mental health is feeling like you have something within your control. And right now there's so many things out of everybody's control. You can't control the economy, the government, the policies, what's going to happen in terms of future jobs and work in America. So when we feel like there's so few things in our control, we then think, well, what's the point? Or we start to think no matter what I do, my effort isn't going to isn't going to matter enough to make a difference. So we stop trying. Tons of research behind that as well, that as long as we feel like, okay, this is within my control. If I am in a normal economy, I lose my job, I apply for another one. Or if I'm not getting promoted at the speed at which I'd like, I move to another company. Right now, all of that's up in the air. We don't even know what companies are going to exist or when people are going to go back to work or what kind of products and services and how the economy is going to look next year. So for a lot of people, all that uncertainty, and we're seeing that with younger people, especially that the younger generations right now seem to be the most stressed out when it comes to money. And I think that's why, because they were thinking, okay, I'm going to get out there and I've got all these dreams after college and I'm going to do this with my career. And now it's so many big question marks. Like, what are you going to do? What's the world going to look like next year or the year after that? At the same time, Amy, we've had this kind of manias within the capital markets, the stock market where where we live and hang out, where we've had these meme stocks where everybody was, lots of people, about 18 million people started new online accounts to start trading, chasing stocks, chasing cryptocurrencies, chasing NFTs, these non-fungible tokens. So in the midst of all the uncertainty are these manias for capital assets, some of which are a little bit dubious. That I found fascinating in the past year, but it's not like this never happened before. How do you look at it from your perspective and you know, as an expert in, in, in studying people's uh, emotions and studying the way we deal with things? Yeah. So I think that our emotions affect every decision that we make. So people who get excited, those are the ones that often fall prey to get rich quick schemes. You forget that there's a potential downside. So really smart people sometimes do make really stupid financial choices because they think that there's no risk involved. Excitement causes us to do that in all areas of our lives. It can especially happen when somebody thinks, okay, this is my opportunity. The economy is shifting right now. I'm going to jump on this. You hear from a friend who says, yeah, I invested in, in this and that, and it's guaranteed. Our excitement goes up and we forget, yeah, there, no, there's still huge risk. Or again, we know anxiety. So maybe you're anxious about COVID. So then you don't take as many financial risks because your anxiety spills over or sadness. You never want to make a deal when you're sad because we are less likely to negotiate. If somebody makes us a bad offer, we'll probably say yes if we're sad because we don't dare offer a counter offer because we're afraid if I, if I get rejected right now, my self-esteem can't take it. So it's so important to just ask yourself, where is my emotional state and how does that affect my judgment and my decision making right now? It is such a good point. I don't think we do that enough. I don't do that enough. But you also have in this, in amidst these manias, this FOMO, this fear of missing out. You see people posting on it, whether they're on TikTok or Instagram or your friends or, or any of the platforms out there, or you see it on the financial media, this fear of missing out because there goes the next 
you know, Amazon.com or there goes the next, you know, stock that's going to, or, or internet cryptocurrency that's going to, you know, go to the moon, so to speak. But then you have these other animal spirits, right? The, the historical biases, the recent biases, the recency biases, all of them coming together, the animal spirits coming together while we are stressed out potentially or worried about other things. That's got to do a number on our emotions, right? It does. And so, yeah, you keep hearing about all of those things about jump on this bandwagon or you're going to miss it versus you have to switch everything that you've been doing because the world has changed. And again, there's so much uncertainty. We don't know what to do. So a lot of our decision making is based on emotion rather than logic and and reason because most of us have never been through a pandemic before. So we don't know what to expect next. Sure. How do you counsel people, Amy, either in your practice or as the editor at Very Well Mind to deal with emotional stress, financial and emotional stress? What do you tell them? What can people read or go to to sort of find a way to, to, to deal with it and learn more about it so they can tackle it? Yeah. So they go hand in hand. Sometimes people would come into my therapy office and say things like, well, I'll get my money taken care of once my depression is gone, or we need to work on my anxiety. And then, and then when I feel better, I'll tackle all this pile of debt I have over here. But it doesn't work like that. Usually you have to work on both at the same time. So I always encourage people Figure out how to work on your stress, whether that means talking to a therapist or it's about incorporating more self-improvement strategies in your life and then figuring out your financial stuff at the same time. It's anxiety provoking to sit down and look at your budget or maybe it's really stressful to take a look at your investments, but you got to do both at the same time if you want to succeed. Such good points. And it's so good that we're talking about it. And I really look forward to tackling a lot of these questions that are coming in. It's really good to have you on the Express, Amy. We're such big fans of Very Well Mind and your terrific podcast, the Very Well Mind podcast. And I really can't wait for our first Your Money, Your Health Summit on Tuesday, September 21st at 1 p.m. It's free, folks, and it's going to be full of great speakers, experts, information, and we're going to be answering your most important questions about these issues. Sign up now at investopedia.com slash conference, and I will see you there, Amy. Thanks so much for joining The Express. Thanks for having me, Caleb. It's terminology time, time for us to get smart with the investing term we need to know this week. This week's term comes to us from Chad in Akron, Ohio, and Chad suggests risk tolerance. We like that suggestion given some of the risky behavior we've been seeing across capital markets. From the junk bond market to non-fungible tokens, there is risky business happening all over the place. Well, according to Investopedia, risk tolerance is a measure of how much of a loss an investor is willing to endure within their portfolio. It looks at how much market risk, stock market volatility, stock market swings, economic or political events, regulatory or interest rate changes an investor can tolerate. Age, investment goals, income, and comfort level all play into determining your risk tolerance. An aggressive investor or someone with high risk tolerance is willing to risk more money for the possibility of better returns than a conservative investor who has a lower risk tolerance. I'll tell you this, knowing your risk tolerance is about the most important self-knowledge you can have in the investing game. Know thyself and know thy risk. Great suggestion, Chad. You'll be getting a pair of the always stylish Investopedia socks in the mail, and we'd like to see you sporting those at your next round at Firestone, if you're a player, or just around lovely downtown Akron, one of Ohio's most beautiful cities. We're going to let Annie Duke, a world champion poker player and a pretty savvy investor, take us out this week. Annie is a student of investor and gambler behavior, and she uses her knowledge to help her excel at both of those trades. Here's Annie speaking at a TEDx talk at Georgetown University, talking about how we use what is called motivated reasoning to confirm our biases, even when we're wrong and it costs us money. 
Motivated reasoning is when we tend to only pay attention to things that confirm the evidence we want to believe, and when we actively work to discredit evidence that disconfirms what we want to believe. I think I do that all the time. Now, I'm not saying that no poker player ever went broke because they didn't bet too big. I'm not saying that no startup ever went broke because they actually didn't have enough capital, but they had the world's greatest idea. And I'm certainly not saying that all of the banks that have ever gone broke didn't go broke because they didn't have a good risk management department. But what I know is it's not all of them. And it's almost 100% of them that will use this as a way to sort of reason around actually getting down deep into this foundational assumption about whether you actually have a winning strategy or not, because we don't like to go there. It doesn't feel good to us. Self-awareness is so precious, and like investing, and like taking care of our health, mental and physical, it's a lifelong pursuit, and one worth the effort. Take care of yourselves in all ways this week, and always, and we'll talk again a little further on down the line.